John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 495.2T0203, certificate number 11758, the fourth crusade. Your priest says, go. Your bishop says, go. Your pope says, go. Take a cross to Jerusalem as pilgrims in arms. What was your uh, high school mascot, John Roderick? The Thunderbird, a mythical Native American creature that was not really um, part of the Native American cosmology of the people who lived in Alaska. The Uh, Thunderbird is not really a... It's like an Arizona thing. Yeah, I think or, we may have we may have talked about this to the future before. Yeah, they, you, you just borrowed it from Arizona. It was, I think, probably the people in 1964 who were building that high school were trying to be respectful and just didn't take any time at all to <laughs> to think about what what the locals were, who they even were. My first thought about this is probably respectful. I'm going to say Thunderbirds. Mm -hmm. Thunderbirds. Arizona is the next state alphabetically after Alaska. Mm -hmm. So you're only one off. I think that has nothing to do with it. (laughs) But also, you know, the Thunder, the Ford Thunderbird was a very popular car in the, during this period. It's muscular. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a Mm -hmm. muscular sounding. Like if the, if the actual Inuit gods are not football ready, if it's like the, the blubber, refiners or the, I don't know what they would actually be. The magical orca. It used to be that Anchorage had one high school and their mascot was the Eagles, West High Eagles. How can you be West High if you're the only high school? Well, at first they were called Anchorage High. Oh, there we go. But then they decided they needed a second high school, which they called East, and they changed Anchorage High to West. And so they were trying to come up with a mascot for East that could rival the Eagles Today, people enjoy naming things, but back in the day, it was like, what, West and East? West and East. Make the new maps, go. And I'm afraid, you know, what they should have done is, what rivals an eagle? Well, a bear or something. You know, like, you don't have to find another bird. Is that really true? <laughs> I, I mean, you Bears know, and eagles. I mean, they don't, they're not direct rivals. That a turtle struggle. But if you put a bear and an eagle in a cage, 
I mean, I don't know. They'd probably ignore each other for a long time, but eventually, if you just kept throwing one little piece of meat in the center of the room, <laughs> they'd come to blows. Or if you kept like whispering to the ego, hey, you know what the, you know what the bear just said about you? <laughs> I bet you could get in there, tag that bear, and get out. Uh, the, the Thunderbird is, you know, Pacific Northwestern cultures use the Thunderbird. It's we don't, we don't even have thunder here. How did we, they even know what thunder was? Well, yeah. should have, it should have been like the drizzle bird. Well, that's the thing. That's why it's so important here, because thunder is so rare. <laughs> I see. Like the raven plays a larger role, but when the thunder comes, you can yeah. blame it on In something. the Southwest, the thunder's not miraculous at all. Right. That would be like have, naming your god, uh, you know. The rainbird. A Prius drives by. <laughs> Something that literally happens all the time. So why do you ask what my high school mascot was? Was yours the Crusaders? Uh, Oh, are we recording? (laughs) (laughs) My high school mascot was the Crusaders. No. Yeah. It was? Uh, I went to a Methodist, uh, a private school in South Korea founded by Methodist missionaries, I think back in the 20s. And but you know, the Methodists didn't play a large role in the Crusades. <laughs> <laughs> the Crusades, largely a Lutheran invention. <laughs> they didn't even play a role in the Crusades. I think it's the general idea of Christians versus everybody. I see. Christians take all comers on. Right. And it was a less fraught term, I think, back in the 20s. And it was a general idea. You know, Billy Graham was launching Crusades sure. in this country from the, what, the 40s all the way up through the... 80s or 90s? 90s, yeah. Probably. And it just meant, uh, you know, a Christian endeavor upon which God smiles. And was your mascot a, like, knight templar? A big a big knight. Well, kind of a vaguely medieval-looking guy. I feel like he had some maybe combination of um, classical robes and armor, and then a big, goofy papier-mâché head. Uh-huh. Like, he doesn't look like he's going to be taking Jerusalem anytime soon. That must have been so confusing to the people of Korea. <laughs> we weren't playing, like, local Korean teams, although that would be funny. Like, hey, we found some non-white people <laughs> to crusade against. <laughs> but it was like, I'm sure the army schools we were playing against were oh, like, right. oh, it's, the, it's these guys. Yeah, right. It's the crusaders. There was no actual crusading going on at the game. No literature was distributed. None of the chants mentioned Jesus as far as I remember. Seems like a missed opportunity. <laughs> like, yeah, a lot of those souls were lost just because we were insufficiently eager at halftime. I'll tell you what. But, you know, the name Crusader was less fraught then. You know, now when we are in the middle of several endless wars against the Muslim world, for some reason that's made people think of the Crusades. Uh, yeah. For some reason, all these fruitless wars against Muslims. For some reason, maybe the maybe the fact that those wars were were almost described as crusades by the Bush administration when they were begun. Yeah, what a terrible marketing idea. Well, and didn't uh, uh, Osama bin Laden, weren't we referred to as crusaders even before? Yeah, I think it started on the other side. You know, yeah. There's a long cultural memory of Europeans just thinking they can come in and shake stuff up. At the time of the Fourth Crusade, at the beginning of the 13th century, the crusades were about, it had been about 100 years since Urban II first gave his big Let's take Jerusalem. The speech. big crusade, as we call it, the <laughs> first crusade. It was just called Anchorage High, I think, at first, because <laughs> there hadn't been a second crusade yet. Uh, but a hundred years later, Innocent the Third was pope, and he's like the first pope to since Urban the Second to really have a bee in his bonnet about the Holy Land. Well, we and we should go back a little bit because oh, no. that's my way. Oh no! I have to ask you, what were you thinking about picking the Fourth Crusade? You knew that I was going to just. 
go off on like a like a bottle rocket into the sky on this. What we're trying to keep these episodes to thirty minutes. I knew this would be exciting for you. Aye. A lot of a lot of naval strategy. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of kings of Swabia and vassals from Hungary and whatnot. Yeah, we get to go to Nicaea multiple times. It's very yeah. Like in, I think in previous entries we have never been to Nicaea more than once. Yep. Yep. Um, actually, this was a request from my son. Oh, really? Who does not listen to the show. He doesn't? No, he's not a future crustacean. Come on. He's vaguely aware that I come over here once a week. Yeah. To this house made of guitar picks. He's just grateful that you're out of the house <laughs> for an hour. Hey, Dad won't uh, complain if I just play Fortnite for like six hours. Uh, he wanted to do the Fourth Crusade. And I was like, that's great. We'll do the Fourth Crusade. Tell me, tell me why. And he's like, oh, um... I just think it's like one of the, it's like the weirdest one. And I think it's pretty weird. I think there's Sicily in it. There is not Sicily in it, by no, the way. He, no, there's not. I'm sure he's not listening to this. So he doesn't know. It's a thousand years from now. And he still thinks Sicily well, is. Well, you know, thing. actually Sicily does enter into it, but tangentially. Uh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I assume you'll apprise us of that when the moment arrives. You have a bell that you can ring Ding. at the second you want to mention Sicily. But we should say that the first crusade, as implausible as it was to send a whole host of Frankish knights and, and it began with a people's crusade, like a, like a call to just the average European Christian dingling with no, with nothing to hold him back. Take the cross. Go they back. Said. Yeah. Go back and take Anatolia from the Turks. And here's the funny part. Like go back to just this place you've read about in a book. Right? Right. Jerusalem really needs you. Like, that would be like coming to me and being like, hey, we've got to go to Gondor and help <laughs> Minas Tirith, you know? Like, like, but all these people were like, yeah, yeah, Jerusalem. But Jerusalem was conquered by the Muslims right in the 700s, right after the life of Muhammad. So it had been Muslim for centuries. And then it, they had it, a pretty good claim, but not in the books everyone in Europe that's had. Right, not in the big books. But it really began, the First Crusade really began because the Eastern, the Byzantine Empire was being threatened. And it seemed like they were the, they were the good bulwark of Christianity against, you know, the, these marauding hordes. And if they, if, if Constantinople fell, then Europe would fall. Right, who and knows what's next? So let's push them back. And while we're at it, why not, you know, why not set a stretch goal? <laughs> I feel like it's more than a stretch goal. It's more like a, it's a propaganda poster, mm. you know? It's no, nobody's going to be like, unless they're a John Roderick listener, they're not, nobody's going to be persuaded by what you have to understand about Constantinople is <laughs> it's the bulwark against the Seljuk Turks or, or whatever. Yes. Like that's, that motivates no one. But if you're like, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. has fallen to the invader, our, the city where our Lord walked, possibly with some kind of donkey or camel. Yes. Uh, you know, that's going to get the peasants out of the field. Yes, and, there are, there are like the march. so many little like shards of the cross that could be sold in little jars. <laughs> Get there. It's true. There's also dreams of, of gold and glory too, because the East is full of riches and, and wonders. But so we, we, uh, and when I, and when I say we, boy, I don't know who I'm referring to, but <laughs> so the first crusade succeeded in capturing Jerusalem, but it was sure. easier to capture than to hold. And Christians are Christians back then. So of course the Western church is going to be, let's go help out the Eastern church. You know, right. we, we have nothing against our, our Christian, our Greek Christian brothers in Constantinople, we're going to help these guys out. Right. Although foreshadowing, although in their conquering it, the, the Latin armies in their con reconquer, reconquista, let's call it of the, uh, of Anatolia and Jerusalem, they established Latin rite churches in those places rather than reestablishing Eastern rite churches, Ouch. which was the Byzantine, which was 
they didn't read the contract very carefully. They were like, come help us. <laughs> and then the Latin dudes were like, we're taking down your two crossbar crosses and we're putting up our one crossbar cross. You'd think they would get, I mean, we did, you know, America, when America occupied Japan, we gave them like baseball, you know, like we, we've, we've done worse things than giving them another, another bar on their cross. Well, but I mean, which would you rather have baseball or a Pope? <laughs> that's a tough, that's a tough choice. <laughs> think about that for a Those minute. Those are my two great loves. I think you would choose baseball. So the first crusade, uh, Jerusalem is retaken, right. but it's lost again in the ah, second crusade. Lost again. And in the, the third crusade is essentially a draw. You know, Christians do, do retain some territories in Palestine, but Jerusalem stays in uh, Muslim hands. Yeah, there are these crusader kingdoms that that survive all this time, but yeah, like, Jerusalem's the prize. Like with, with European kings, you yeah. know, uh, and they're vassals of other European kings, but they hold little plots of land in Palestine, uh, which is kind of funny to think that about. That's hilarious. Little colonies. These little, these little guys. Little acre there, <laughs> flying its flag. I'm King Hubert <laughs> of, uh, you know, of Israel, right? Uh, so if you're keeping score at home, the record is one and one and one. Right. And so this makes the Fourth Crusade essentially game seven. You know, somebody's going to take the lead at this point. So Innocent III uh, levies clerical taxes. You know, priests start, start having to pay more of their, the money they've grifted. I mean, uh, the money they have received tithes for from the people. Um, they're going to be sending more of that to Rome for, a, for a, some kind of general fund. And charismatic preachers are issued to spread through the country land, talking about, boy, wouldn't it be great if we all just got up right now and like had, a, had an awful bloody war in Jerusalem. And just retook Jerusalem. Come on. Come on, you guys. Think about it. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Oh. Like, we could just go tonight. Think about all the things that we'd be, would be different here in like mud floor France <laughs> <laughs> if Jerusalem was in Christian hands. And in 1199, one of these preachers shows up at a jousting tournament uh, in northern France held by Thibaut, the Count of Champagne. Tebow, he's my favorite rapper. Tebow, Count of Champagne, is absolutely a rapper name. You don't even have to, you don't have to change any part of it. It's a great rap name. Tebow, King of Champagne. And while these wow. while these knights are all there at their at their tilts, you mm -hmm. know, with their lances and whatnot, doing their good sporting, it's a sports event basically. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. um, it's not even corporate field. It's just it's getting together with your with your buddies on the weekend, and it's the equivalent of watching the game and tailgating, I guess. And I assume alcohol is a big part of this. He is the Count of Champagne, I guess, <laughs> because there's a sudden wave of fervor. Like everyone there suddenly just starts talking about, man, like what if there was another crusade like, like they had back in the day? Like, yeah. like we could all just go and, uh, High five. and they all, uh, in a, in a fit of religious feeling, they all fall to their knees and they take the cross. They make a vow that they're going to be the ones that are going to go retake Jerusalem. Oh, this sounds like a promise keepers event. <laughs> Yeah, this isn't just tailgate talk. This yeah. is like, this is real, a real promise, a vow. Because once you take the cross, then it's on you, right? You can't go back on that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, these are... Sober up the next day. And these are the, these are the, the pillars of their communities right. as well. They have a lot to lose if they're like, oh man, that was just, that was just Tebow talk. That was just jousting talk. Right. Um, and it's funny how many things in history start with just a bunch of guys in a room and then alcohol. Like, like we think there's like big unseen forces and bureaucracies lurching us into all these, but sometimes it's just a bunch of dingbats in a room. That's my counter argument to every, every conspiracy theory is like, 
you wish people were that diabolical and organized. It's just a, it's just a bunch of high five on white guys that got a bee in their bonnet and, you know, and they were at an NFL game and the next thing you know, like we're invading Iraq. A little mead, a little sack. Sure, it's exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, 9-11, a bunch of guys in a room uh-huh. and suddenly something awful happens. And then a couple of months later, again, a bunch of guys in a room. This time they've got a bunch of braid on their shoulder, but it's the same thing. Like, dude, what if we took... Dude. What would your dad say if we could actually take Baghdad, man? Oh, we got to do it. These guys take the cross. And then the next day they're like, oh no, what did we do? (laughs) We didn't give a press conference, did we? Did we? (laughs) Oh, we did. (laughs) So in this case, it's just a bunch of white guys and uh, they don't have an army, but they have an idea. You know, Egypt is the seat of Arab power. What we're going to do is we're going to take Egypt. At this point, Egypt is like the big... It's, it's the big uh, sultanate. In the Middle East. Right. Um, so we're going to strike at the heart of these, these uh, infidels who have taken the Holy Land, the, how the, unholy the Holy Land. The, yeah, they unholied it. They've sullied it somehow. You, their AU-bidness. <laughs> that's, why, that why that's why the guy was called Suleiman, because he was always sullying, sullying things, things in Jerusalem. Oh, with his man. bad AU-bidness. And his infidel beliefs, his, uh, what do they say? They, they didn't even say Islam. They called it Mohammedism. Mohammedism. Or, and they spelled it like Mahometism or something. I like old timey, um, disrespectful. Mahomet. Spellings of weird religions. Like I love Kipling poems where he's like, ah, the, the heathen Chinese or, you know, the. Well, you don't have to tell me. We sit around here and read Kipling aloud to each other all the time. <laughs> no, we, we deplore the racism of it. <laughs> yeah. That's why we read it to deplore it. You know, but it's, it's fun when um, it's kind of fun to see it as like, you know, a gung ho children's poem. Mm-hmm. I guess that's terrible and frightening. Actually. I don't think it's fun at all. Well, I mean, it doesn't really fit into your modern Twitter account, but this is what, this is the way my dad was raised. I mean, are, are you saying it does fit into your modern Twitter? I, I'm not really on Twitter I'm, anymore. I'm a, little, I'm a little less woke than you can. And I am talking about the dusky, the dusky Easterners literally all the time. My Twitter account is mostly pictures of unshelled nuts and, uh, and Werther's hard candy. That's not because I'm old. That's actually not an exaggeration. <laughs> like the future will think you're exaggerating for comic effect. No, they won't because they will have uploaded all previous images all the, before all, listening to this they're like let's see where john's head was at well no that's just who they are they're like the omniscient uh, cloud people they have no corporeal form they are just the cloud in all of its continuity so, and so we're just telling them things they already know they know everything they have total omniscience well why are we telling them about the fourth crusade much less the unshelled nuts on your coffee table because they love the dulcet tones of our voices you're sort of like <clears throat> more squirrel-like voice and my bear-like voice. <laughs> my eagle-like voice <laughs> and your bear-like voice in constant battle. Scream, like Anchorage scream. High Schools. Roar. Well, it's a common um, theological uh, discussion about why we should pray to a God who already knows everything. It is. And the answer is... Um, Depends. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly can't change his will. Well, depends He's going to do what he's going to do. Depends on what sect you're a member of. Uh, I think the consensus is that it's really for us. God, God doesn't need to hear us whining and begging for stuff. I mean, the Old Testament God certainly is very needy. <laughs> he really wants you to whine. He likes it. He likes to hear whining. Well, I don't like this New Testament idea that we're just doing this for us. So I certainly hope that, well, what, where, that we're, 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 the few, we're patting the future's ego in some way. Where do you stand on predestination? The movie? No. <laughs> Was that a Matthew McConaughey movie? I can't keep them all straight. Actually, I don't know. John Cusack, maybe? 
Is there a movie called Predestination? Ethan Hawke. Oh, I actually have seen this movie. It's a Robert Heinlein adaptation. I'm not going to give away the ending, but it's the time travel paradox to end all time travel paradoxes. Oh, don't talk to me about time travel. Are, are you already furious about your recent encounters with time travelers? <laughs> well, the thing is, I can't tell them apart, you know, because they're moving so fast. Have you ever had a future version of you appear to you? Future me appears all the time in the form of like a kind of lecturing voice that says, my God, would you just make coffee? You're going to want it in an hour. It's future me talking to me. No, that's me texting you and being like, John, I'm going to be there an hour. Don't wait to make the coffee until I get there. And yet every week <laughs> I am now at the point where I see future me when I look in the mirror. So it's, oh. it's no longer a, uh, a time space paradox. I get to see this sagging guy Oh, every, that, every time I look I'm in the mirror. I'm afraid that that's present you. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry, kid. We've got oh, some lovely prizes for you. No. Oh, no. So these guys, full of fervor, mm -hmm. decide to strike out at Egypt. And the, the problem is it's a long march. It is. It's a long way to get from northern France to northern Egypt. You can't really walk there unless... Yeah, you just can't. I mean, you got to bring all those horses. Everybody's wearing armor. It's a long march. Previous crusaders, I think, did do a lot of marching. And these guys are like... The poor ones, especially. Right. They went coach. Yeah, they did. Everybody up front has the... There was the no... hot napkins. Everybody on the boats has the hot napkins and a little bowl of nuts. There was no Orient Express at this point. Right. The, the, their equivalent would be, hey, what if we just sail across the Mediterranean? This is a smart idea. They have a shortcut. Rich. It's going to be much shorter. The problem is they have no Navy and they don't really have any money to buy one. No, it's expensive to buy a Navy. So they go to one of the premier naval powers. There are some maritime powers uh, that, uh, that have made a name for themselves in the Mediterranean at this point. Would you, that sounds like an intro. Would you like to walk us through some of the 13th century, early 13th century naval powers? Well, uh, you know, it was kind of an Italian game, right? Uh, Genoa and Venice. There was no Italy, as we've said before, just all these little city states. These little city states. And they were all, and you know, they were kind of vying with these different sort of Greek city states. Um, and because they were all traders, merchant people, they needed uh, influence on the high seas. That's right. Constantinople was, it was the crown city of Europe at the time, but they didn't really muster their own uh, navy very well, or they didn't, you know, they, they farmed it out to the Italians. So like the Venetians and the Genoans were competing against one another to actually be like the house navy of other cities in addition to being their own sort of trading empire. It's just what American cities do with garbage trucks. You farm it out to the Italians. Oh, oh, where's my bell? Is the bell now for racism <laughs> as, as well as puns? Any anti-Italian uh, like quips are going to get a muted bell. A muted bell. <laughs> <laughs> just like anytime you, you besmirch the Irish, you're going to get a little. Shouldn't it have a little um, like a little Godfather uh, theme on the accordion or whatever. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> oh, so yeah. Maybe he, Corinthian can put that in. So if you need a, if you need a Navy, go to a city that's underwater. Right. They head to Venice and they talk to the Doge. Oh, they do. Not the Doge, not that Shiba Inu from the memes. No. <laughs> the Doge. <laughs> Much boats. Oh, wow. <laughs> many, many pillar, pillaging. Uh, and Doge, uh, 80 year old Doge Enrico Dondolo of Venice. A Doge is just a, a Duke. I don't know why yep. they have a weird name, but Italian cities had Doges. Doge. Um, his Doge ship says, 
uh, sure, much money, uh, many ship. Yes. Uh, you know, I'll give you the boats you need for 33,000 men. Um, and very cleverly, he's like, I'm not just going to be your contractor here. I want to be a full partner in the crusade. I want half the loot. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's not something the knights in France were saying, but the crafty Venetian is like, we all know what's really going on with crusade. That's that classic doge. Once again, half the loot. That's a great rap name too. The doge, little, little doge. <laughs> little doge. <laughs> little doge. <laughs> Uh, it kind of makes like we can't really do that anymore. Like you, can, you'd never get um, people to enlist in an army or support a cause by saying, "And there's going to be so much oil." Like we have to kind of pretend we're not doing that now. We have to talk. You know, now it's higher principles. We just stick with the Tebow count of champagne approach to warfare in our day. In crusades, that's true, but <clears throat> this is a very common thing in the startup community, right? <laughs> yeah, we have Somebody a different kind of warfare. Says, today. Look, we're going to go disrupt the the whole like gardening market and the. The initial investors are like, great, for half the loot. Like, they don't need to believe. We'll in, build the ships. They don't need to believe in a new, better garden gnome. No, they don't care at all. They're just there. They're doing the schlep. They just want to date Grimes. Ugh. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. So the, sh so the Venetians agree and they say, sure, they say, how many guys are you bringing? And they're like, oh, we'll get, we'll get 33,000 men. No problem. Oh, that's a lot of, that's a lot of boats. It does seem lofty. Yeah. So they got a bunch of, you know, troop transports. You got your galleys for, for, you know, more maneuverable fighting. You've got your, um, horse boats, which are called usiers. I think that can't be right. That doesn't sound like a word. Usiers. Yeah. Maybe it's French. Weesiers. It starts with UI, which doesn't even sound like a thing. Weesiers. The French word for bailiff, weirdly. Hmm. The problem is, well, there's several problems at this point. One is that Thibault, the Count of Champagne, has sadly died. Pour out some sack on the curb for, for Thibault. Um, and Count Boniface of Montferrat in northern Italy has kind of taken the reins here. He is a vassal of Philip of Swabia, which sounds incredibly boring. No. <laughs> no, tell me more <laughs> about this southern German palatinate. Uh, but it comes into the story because Philip of Swabia is married to Irene, a Byzantine princess. Come on, Irene. Who is the, good night, Irene. <laughs> who is the sister of Alexius Angelus. I feel like I should be playing the young and the restless theme. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Angelus family has arrived in Port Charles and they've got their weather controlling satellite with them. Wow, that's a very obscure 70s Nicely general done. hospital reference. It's not Young and the Restless. No, though. but still, it, 
indicates that you were watching not just Jeopardy reruns in your military closed circuit television station. I know who the Greek bad guys were on uh, late 70s, early 80s General Hospital. That's when Elizabeth Taylor was on the show. Exciting high watermark for right, daytime TV. I remember TV. that. Um, before she was married to Larry Fortinsky. That's right. A few years before. Alexius Angelus, in his mind, should be on the throne of the Byzantine Empire. He's from Constantinople. His father, Isaac II, has been deposed by Isaac's own brother, also named, confusingly, also named Alexius. But he's Alexius. He, he, he styles himself as Alexius II. Yes, he's become Alexius II, uh, Byzantine Boogaloo. And he has blinded Isaac II and imprisoned him because uh, by tradition, a blind guy cannot be the emperor of the Byzantine Empire. This seems cruel to blind people, but um, at the time... But. You're going to tell us how it's actually cool. <laughs> well, just like those Kipling poems. At the time, it was considered a very humane alternative to killing them. There's a tradition that a blind man cannot be emperor. I don't know how that's come up. Probably via this this um, yeah, this loophole. Because having been blinded, uh, be, being blinded is a thing that gets done to you. That it's symbolic. It's like uh, now you're disgraced. You're out of the running. You can't you can't be emperor anymore. It, it sounds like it was originally castrating, and at some point the guy in the chair is like, "Hey, hey, 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 hey. what if?" <laughs> <laughs> I got a better idea. I got a better idea. I'll trade you my eyes. Yeah. Um, yes. So it's a it's a terrible kind of ableism in Constantinople that a blind guy cannot be emperor. So, so uh, Isaac the <laughs> second. Not like here in Washington. No, we, no, no. You're really, yes. Where we have a blind lieutenant governor at we the do, moment. We do. He's a, I wouldn't call him a personal friend, but he is a, he's a, a, a personal acquaintance of mine. A personal acquaintance. Yes. He's a, he's a personal acquaintance, but then, you know, the, so is the governor, frankly. Uh, yes. It's John Roderick fans all the way down. Because when you I'm, get to Washington you know, I'm, State. I'm very active in local politics. You're, 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 you're big in the community. Um, so Alexius, uh, the rightful heir at this point, flees... Constantinople, and well, the rightful heir in his. You're mind. talking about Alexius three now. Yeah, I'm talking about Alexius Angelus. So one one of the things that's important to note at this moment is that the right of, of primogenitor, like the first son, or the the hereditary nature of an empire or of a, of a kingdom, is not as enshrined in Byzantine culture as it is in Western Europe. Sure, we assume the eldest son gets everything. Yeah, but that's not how it's done over there. In Constantin Constantinople is a little more like the uh, Naboo in the Star Wars prequels, where they have a royal family, but they're also kind of elected, like they're kind of chosen. Right. And for your lifetime, sure, you know, if you're if you're Isaac the Second, you're Isaac the Second for life until you know your evil brother blinds you. Yeah, but your dumb the dumb kid of the guy who blinds your brother, it doesn't necessarily ascend to the throne. It seems like kind of a Machiavellian system that rewards the scheming Game of Thrones type counselor who can build the biggest constituency. Um, anyway, so here we are. In Venice, we've got many more, fewer men than, are, than are, have been promised. Only 10,000 men have showed up. And, Whoa, uh, that's quite a few fewer. That, yeah, that's a third what they were hoping for. And Count Boniface is now saying, hey, uh, we need to do a solid for King Philip of Swabia we need to put Alexius back on the throne of Constantinople. Oh, so this is a little bit of mission creep. We're not talking about Jerusalem now. It's insane mission creep. It's, a, it's literally a left turn in where the Navy should be going. Well, and so what's, I, I think uh, it bears noting 
that in order to put together a Navy that will carry 33,000 men, the predicted number of men, like those, Venice didn't just have those boats lying around. Like this was, you can't use gondolas. No, they had a bunch of singing guys in flat hats are not going to take you all the way to Jerusalem slash Constantinople. Right. They had been contracted to build this Navy. So this wasn't a thing where they, where 10,000 guys show up and Venice goes, Oh, all right, well, we'll just, we'll just use... put them on these, these, and these boats. <laughs> yeah, we'll use a third of these boats, and, uh, and I guess we'll use the rest of these as ferries cross the Mersey. <laughs> Probably not the Mersey. Um, and mission creep continues because the Doge is not happy that a third of the men have showed up because they, you know, they were, I think there was a fee. I think there's a buy-in to be a crusade. Uh-huh. So fewer men means fewer money. Suddenly he's got all these, you know, he, he's made all these preparations, building all these boats. And so he makes them an offer and the mission creeps even more. He says, Hey, um, I need, you know, on the way, (laughs) I need you to stop off and run an errand for me. He's like kind of a two bit drug guy in a movie. He's like, I need you to start, uh, stop off at the Dalmatian city of Zara and conquer it for me. They've been a bee in my bonnet too long. For why now? Like why? Yeah. Why? Why does he want them to conquer Zara? Yeah. What's what, what did Zara ever do to him? Well, Venice's sphere of economic power has been shrinking uh, because of new powers rising up in Hungary and Croatia. And a lot of these ports along the Adriatic mm-hmm. are throwing in their lot with Croatia or King Emmerich of Hungary. And this is trouble for the traditional power in the region, Venice. I'll say. So he proposes they do the same thing I do when I'm in Europe and I don't have a lot of money and I'm bored. Go to Zara. Well, you know, Zara is... The is it still exists. It is the oldest city in Croatia. The oldest, the most, the longest continuously occupied city in like uh, the Balkans. Yeah, it's called Zadar today. Zadar. And the department store Zara, even though I kind of implied it before, is not named after the city of Zara. Do you know what the department store Zara is named after? I do, in fact. It was originally. (laughs) <laughs> it was originally named Zorba after Anthony Quinn's character in the movie of Zorba the no, Greek. it was not. It was, and... Um, the store was named Zorba? Yeah, and I think, I don't know if it was a lawsuit, but I think it was, at some point, there was a very quick rebrand, and they had to make a name out of the letters they already had. Right. And they must have had a spare A, so they just took down the O and the B and put up their spare A, and it became Zara. It's much better as Zara, considering who shops at Zara... Um, you don't think it's, it, it's it not Greek peasants? It wouldn't work as Zorba. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, Zara, the, the cut of their clothes is very, it's very slim cut. Zorba has problems. I don't associate Greeks with fashion. Mm, Sorry. Right. Sorry, Greeks. Right. It sounds kind of like absorbent, Ugh. which is, again, not a word you want to associate with tailored blazers. Right. And I, jeans. Yeah, I think of it as being, uh, Zorba conjures up an image of a, like a rough hemp tunic with wine stains on it. <laughs> right. With retsina stains on it. So this uh, nominal crusade ends up just sacking Adriatic ports um, in the service of Doge Dondolo. But and these are Christian towns. That's the problem. This is a crusade that has now turned on Christians. And, I, and in fact, it was turning on Christians the second they said, hey, let's go put our, our boy back on the throne of Constantinople. I guess those were Greek Christians. Right. But now it's turning on just every Christian in the way. And the Pope is annoyed. Innocent III um, excommunicates Venice, essentially. You can just excommunicate a whole bunch of canals back then. Uh-huh. And he threatens to excommunicate the whole darn crusade. So they would be a crusade without a church. 
that's not a good deal for them. It's like the worst crusade, right? I'll say. Like, it, you can't be a crusade if even the even even the the crusade calling pope is like. Now, hold on. You boys have gone a little too far. Well, look, you've got the first crusade, which is a hit. And then the sequel. <laughs> the, se- the second album is always kind of trouble, the sophomore. And song. then the third one is where it really hits a, a crater. And then at the fourth one, you have a choice. You can either like rebrand the whole, what, what, am, I, what am I trying to say? <laughs> you can either rescue the franchise or the fourth one is the final nail in the coffin of the whole franchise, right? I mean, what's the fourth Star Wars movie? I don't, I'm trying to think of what franchise you're talking about here. Like these could be the underworld movies. Was there a Jaws 4? There was. Michael Caine made it. (laughs) It it was terrible. It was, I think, was it in 3D? No, I think Jaws 3 is in 3D. Jaws 4 is the revenge. And when they asked Michael Caine about why he was in this stinker of a movie, he said, I've not seen the movie, but I hear it is terrible. I'm not going to do the voice. But I have seen the house it built and the house is magnificent. (laughs) So if you give Michael Caine a ton of money, he'll be in your crappy Jaws movie. The Crusaders, uh, now with existential panic at what's happened to their mission, but you know, the, the machinery is lurching them along. They winter in Zara and they take Prince Alexius aboard and tell him, all right, next stop, Constantinople will reinstall you on the throne. And because this is, this is their new plan. Once they have an ally on the throne of the Byzantine Empire, He'll pay off their debt to the Doge, and he will lead them in their glorious campaign on Egypt. And the Doge buys all this? It seems like the Doge, being a savvy Venetian, is going to see through this whole scheme to reinstate or to, to install some puppet client on the throne of Constantinople and suddenly all his debts are repaid. I don't know. The Doge is in his 80s. I don't want to speculate. I yeah. think the, the main thing here for the Doge is he's going to get paid. Right. Doge is going to get that paper. And I, I picture it kind of like the, the police in THX 1138, where they will chase the goal until it's not profitable anymore. So he thinks if this is the only way I'm getting paid out of this crusade, fine. Sure. Side is fine. Side trip to road trip to Constantinople boys. Now it's important also to remember that uh, these mass excommunications that periodically happened where, a, where a Pope tried to say, um, I want to bring this crusade back or or I'll excommunicate everyone. Really, that was only communicated via a letter, which was received by the knights in charge. And they often didn't read that letter aloud to everyone. Got some bad news, everybody. Team meeting. Yeah. So I just have to announce that the VC firm that was backing us has (laughs) excommunicated all of us and we're all going to hell. Because I think if they if if it was common knowledge that they'd been excommunicated, that would have taken the 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 wind out of their sails. Uh, the the you know the night on the ground, let's say. But I think that these excommunications were suppressed by the the head knights and the rest of the team. Like was blissfully unaware that they no longer had. It is the, like a startup. Everybody's still God. beavering away on their <laughs> on their big data solution. Until the day the paychecks don't clear. Right. And you, your guy is like, ah, oh, yeah, there was some kind of a mix up. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like these guys at the final judgment bar. And they're like, no, 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 we were in a crusade. And, you know, St. Peter looks at his list. Ah, the fourth crusade. Yeah. Yeah, there's been a mix up. <laughs> yeah, that, that, one, uh, that one was no longer on God's short list. It's like one, two, three, asterisk, five. 
Um, so the Doge is still with the mission mm-hmm. as they head to Constantinople. And Prince Alexius has assured them that he's going to be embraced by the people. I'm sure this sounds like no Middle Eastern crusade in our time, for sure. The people will rise up because they are sick to death of uh, Alexius II. They want a new Alexius. They're looking for a Western nation to come in and show them how to govern they themselves. Would, they would love it. We will be welcomed as liberators, oh, uh, Dandolo oh, and welcomed uh, as Count liberators. Boniface tell each other. Isn't that a lovely nursery rhyme? <laughs> a lovely promise. <laughs> so... They uh, arrive at the, you know, just uh, at the Bosporus. They're, they get to the strait that cuts through Constantinople. And they put Alexius on the poop of a galley wearing imper- imperial robes, <laughs> his most Byzantine emperor looking outfit. And they row back and forth like, look what we got. It's we, him. Got, we got your new emperor. <laughs> and, you know, just waiting for the cheers to begin. And instead, arrows are fired upon them wow. from the city walls. And everybody has to dive for cover. Boo. So that's the moment when, you know, um, medieval Rumsfeld realizes, oh, no. Wait a minute. We've been sold a bill of goods by all these, uh, you know, expat Byzantines we had who who assured us that there was a fifth column that was going to rise up. We're not being welcomed as liberators. Grr. So luckily for our dotty, hearty crusaders, um, Alexius III, I think I said second, but he's actually the third, the, The uh, the usurper. Uh, has been a terrible emperor. He has turned the navy over to his brother-in-law, who's just a grifter, and has stripped the whole thing. He's basically sold the whole thing off for parts and cash. So Constantinople does not have much of a navy anymore, but they do have an amazingly well-defended city, one of the best in the world, bulwark against the east, as you've said. Constantinople Um, famously had three walls. Three walls. Three now, walls. Now, you'd think a city would need four. You'd think three walls would be trouble because, oh, we'll just go in the other side. It's going to look like the Huxtable's house. No, three three concentric walls. Three walls, one wall, two oh, walls, three, three walls. three layers of walls. Yeah. I see. It was also a triangular piece of land, you know, well defended on the land side by, again, these huge walls and fortresses, and on the uh, water side by a massive Game of Thrones-style chain across the harbor. The far end of the chain is attached to a massive fortress, which you can still see in modern day Istanbul. Spoilers, Istanbul was Constantinople. I think that's points in bingo for anybody who gets a point whenever we mention they might be giants. <laughs> that it's a massive stone tower called the Tower of Galata. And these are virtually impregnable defenses. They've held off armies and navies for centuries. Just epic sieges by the Arabs, by the Bulgars, by Russian Vikings, which I did, I thought was a cocktail. So it's, you know, uh, Constantinople is very, very hard to conquer. And we should, we should stipulate that the, that the, uh, geography there of Constantinople, there's a, the Harbor is called the golden horn. And tell us why it's called the golden horn. Well, it's, uh, there's a, like a little, it's literally like a little horn, like the, like the bell of a horn. It's a triangular. Yeah. Like a thing. rhinoceros horn. Is the, it's I, to coin a phrase. That's the word I was looking for. Do you think that's the horn they would have gone to? Do you think rhinoceros was their go-to horn in the, oh. for the Byzantines? Yeah, I bet so. If you took a rhinoceros horn and, and gilded it. I would have thought a bull. Wouldn't you see more bull horns than rhinoceros horns? But a rhinoceros horn is, a rhinoceros has that one big horn and then a, and a lesser horn, whereas bulls have two equal horns. It's a pretty good horn. I see. If, you, if, yeah. if they had had a two-horn shape, right. you would have thought bull. 
bull. But, but you're thinking is, rhino. I think so. But gotcha. so, so the, they're rhino inspired defenses. Yeah, the Bosphorus is this uh, is a channel with cliffy sides. Uh, here we go. That you can't really, you couldn't really invade because it's, they're fortified and it's th- those are cliffs. But the Golden Horn is this this wonderful natural harbor. And then they string this enormous chain across it, which seems like kind of a dumb, easily defeated defense. Uh, duh, lift the chain. But it's such a big chain. That's you, the thing you don't know. It's a really big, I don't know if I've- super big chain. Maybe I have understated how big the chain is. It's hilarious that that would be enough, but you can't sail a boat over or under or through this chain. We should mention that in our time, that would not work. No. You, you can't just put a big chain in the water and hope for the best. Well, it depends on who your enemies are, right? If your enemies are a bunch of paddle boarders on Lake Union, <laughs> you could yeah, you could just put up like some plastic netting and that's keep a, them out. That's a pretty big if for me. Yeah. I guess maybe that's... Who are your enemies? Kevin? Yeah, I didn't know your enemies were the yoga paddle boarders of, uh, of North Seattle. They are among my enemies. I would have thought the yoga moms of North Seattle were among your, um, you know... Some possible conquests. Some are, so there are factions. And then a year later, they become your enemies, right? <laughs> so the tower where, that, that holds the, the end of the chain is, uh, is key to this battle. Is that correct? Key to the whole thing. The Venetians want to uh, predictably want to go in to the harbor. They want to fight n- navally. That's their strength. Yep. The French knights, having been cooped up on boats for a while with nothing but a bunch of... Uh, Dalmatians to kill the, the people, not the dogs. Um, they want to ride ashore. Um, so they end up mounting a double attack. The French by land, uh, by, to the land wall, and the Venetians on the harbor wall. And it's looking pretty iffy until the 80-something Doge himself instructs his galley to take the four and set him ashore. And his men, inspired by this old guy doddering ashore at the harbor, uh, join him and they sweep the towers and are able to take a full mile of the harbor wall. Um, it doesn't help them take the city, but it does help them. It does put them in a good place to set, start setting fire to things. Sure. That's a great way to take a what city. What a great way to take a city. Like even in our day, that works pretty well. Yep. Some guys just like to see the world burn. So uh, the wind is such that uh, these fires enable the Doge's men to burn much of the city. Um, the French do not do well on land because the siege towers are so massive. Uh, And you've got a problem back then, which is that it's like the all-star game. All these guys think they're the hero, you know, like they don't want to sit around and let um, Count Boniface tell them what the strategy is. They're all just like, for Jerusalem and my savior. And they're just going to, you know, ride their steeds forward. And the whole thing just turns into a disaster because, you know, the wrong guys are going to the wrong place and people, the, the army follows the wrong person and it just exposes them to totally unstrategic positions. It was very windy weather uh, over the course of these several days. And at one point, the, um, the Venetian fleet, the wind was blowing the wrong way. And, they, and it looked like their whole uh, invasion was going to be dashed. And the implication being that God was against it. But then some, some well-spoken bishops uh, in the party convinced them that God was just testing them. And that's always a good way to get your knights back on track. That argument cannot lose. It cannot lose. No matter what happens, no matter how bad it is, you can be like, see, just like I said, God's testing you. God was testing. Do do you really want this? And then things keep getting worse and you're like, it's like I keep saying, God is testing you. It really can't go wrong. No, it's it's inspiring. You're like, I'm not throwing myself all the way into this and God can tell. 
I feel like we should use that today instead of just putting up a mission accomplished banner and be like, we always said this would be tough. Yeah. No, God is testing us. I'm sure that there are people in the Air Force that are using that argument. Air Force specifically. <laughs> you, you feel like that's the most devout or easily gulled uh, branch of the armed forces? I do. In fact, I think that uh, the fact that the Air Force is um, the most devout of the four branches is fairly well established. And it's tricky because they've got the missile keys. They do have the missile keys. <laughs> that's, that's where you want the real zealots. If you're going to start an apocalypse, start it there in Colorado at Colorado College. Uh, Alexis, it's not going to happen at Colorado College. I'm sorry to bes to besmirch the reputation of Colorado College. That's good. Like I, I like how you're aware they could be a possible sponsor. <laughs> Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. Alexius III uh, is having none of this. He was a big fan of being the emperor of Byzantium when it was easy, but he is not down for massive fires and navies coming ashore. So he flees the city with his mistress and Isaac II is restored to power by the local nobles. The crusaders are like, no, 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 no. We want our guy. And so they insist that Alexius Angelus be co-crowned. Co-crown. Is that, that, even, is that, that even always a thing? works. Do you have to, uh, do they have to solder a new crown? Co-king. Co-king? Co-king. <laughs> They're not co-king yet. That's, that's like more of the uh, financial crusades of the 80s. It's important at this juncture to recall that this is a crusade to retake Jerusalem. It's funny how Jerusalem is steadfastly remaining retaken, no matter how much of the strategy, naval strategy of the Bosporus uh, we talk about. So what happens next is pretty predictable. There's this um, unpopular puppet leader on the throne. There's no money. And the locals are not crazy about the invaders. The funny thing is they were actually defend they were actually defended by European mercenaries. When the when the tower of Galata was stormed and taken, it was being defended not by the you know Greek-looking kind of Middle Eastern dudes you might be expecting, but by English and Danish and Pisan mercenaries. Yeah. Who had been hired just for that purpose. But I guess it's different when they're not your guys and they're coming right in. So the people are not super happy about the invaders. There's massacres on both sides. And young Alexius does not last long in power. He falls under the clutches of an advisor called Mertzufalos. Oh, yeah. Who, which is almost too perfect. Sure, like, Mertzufalos. It's, like it's a Disney villain name or a Game of Thrones villain name, right? Mm -hmm. And his name refers either, history is not sure, to his gloomy, sullen demeanor or his thick, bushy eyebrows. 
Wow. So this guy is exactly the evil conniver you're expecting. I wish I had the bushy eyebrows. I wish I had bushy eyebrows enough that they gave me my nickname. <laughs> well, I would never stop conniving if I had eyebrows. up. Like, I feel like the only thing keeping me on the path of law and order is that I do not have a pair of big bushy eyebrows. You and I are both very light complected. We have similar kinds of uh, dishwater blonde hair. This is why we keep saying we about the Crusaders. <laughs> <laughs> but neither you nor I has visible eyebrows no. or eyebrows that are worth a good goddamn. It's uh, our worst handicap. When you look, when you of ableism, when you raise your eyebrow to look at me with like dubious contempt, I can't even tell. <laughs> like it just looks like you're wrinkling your forehead. At least you have glasses. Yeah, that gives you kind of a fake eyebrow. I wear them in order to to like approximate an eyebrow. Your vision's fine. No, I think in our day, instead of blinding a deposed CEO or whatever, we should just shave his or her eyebrows, shave their eyebrows. They'll look like Whoopi Goldberg. (laughs) Is that like, is that the punishment you can imagine? Well, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg shaves her eyebrows. That seems like a strange, I mean, it certainly didn't inhibit her fame. Does she shave her eyebrows? But it's a strange affectation. I assumed it was just maybe for the Star Trek bartender part and then they never grew back. I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, my sister is very offended. As I get older, my eyebrows start to, although they are still invisible, they start to become wizard eyebrows. Like you get I'm a few super long ones, getting super long ones. And my sister is really offended by it. And she threatens to cut them all down to the quick. So our Mertz, Mertzufalos, I can't even say that. So Mertzufalos. He uh, kidnaps and imprisons our boy, Alexius Angelus and makes himself Alexius V. This town has a new Alexius essentially every month. Yes. Mortsufalos slash Alexius V. And he uh, re-fortifies the city against the invaders and launches fire ships against their fleets. By the way, they all have the the leather soaked in vinegar to defend against Greek fire that Mm -hmm. we mentioned in Mm -hmm. a past Mm -hmm. entry of the omnibus. So it's clear that another battle is coming. And when he finds out that the Crusader army is um, raiding nearby towns, he leads an army out there to the nearby town of Philia, but is defeated. The Crusaders defeat Mertzufalos' army. They take the holy icon from the temple that's like a a battle flag of Byzantine emperors. Um, But Mertzufalos has an idea. He just goes back to Constantinople and says, hey, good news, we won. We got the icon, but we just put it in a really safe place, so I can't show it to you. So he's essentially still oh, Rumsfeld. Whoa, you know? psych. Don't, don't answer the question that was asked. You know, answer the question you wish was asked. So um, the Byzantines believe that everything's going super well. But the Crusaders hear about this, so what can they do? They have an ace in their sleeve. They can be like, no, we got the icon, just kidding. Yeah. So they raise the icon on their boats and go parade in front of the wall showing it off. Mertzufalos is humiliated and is afraid there's going to be a revolt. So he poisons young Alexius Angelus, his prisoner, several times. It doesn't take, Rasputin style. What? Double, triple, quadruple poisoned? Finally has to strangle him. Isaac II dies about the same time. So Mertzufalos now has an uncontested view of the throne. The Crusaders realize they've lost their man on the inside. The only way they're going to take Constantinople now is by force. Doge D'Angelo takes the lead here and says, we're going to attack the harbor again. So almost a year later, they launch another frontal assault on the harbor. It's going terribly. The Crusaders lose 100 men. 
The Byzantines, uh, you know, are doing great. And some defenders are so convinced they're going to win that the Byzantines up in the siege towers are dropping their breaches and mooning the Crusaders. Oh, that's, you. I mean, even now, that would be quite an insult. But then? I mean, at least they can think, God is testing me, God is testing me. I have to look at this Byzantine guy's butt, but... God is testing me. I fought in your general direction. They don't even know they've been excommunicated. They are looking at some guy's hairy butt for nothing. Murtzufalos again announces victory prematurely, which is kind of his thing. Am I not a good emperor, he tells them? And then he answers himself, I'm the best emperor you've ever had. I guess he's not going to wait for an answer. That's another Rumsfeld thing. In a, in I, I will way, dishonor and hang them all. In a way, he's doing a He's doing a fairly good job compared to his predecessors. Compared I mean, to any of the previous Alexii. Yeah. So the Doge decides to lead a, one more naval assault, but he's got a new innovation. He's going to lash the big boats together. This Doge is relentless. This Doge just will not give up. So if the boats are lashed together, he figures he's got two of these big transports together. That's a much, you know, that's a bigger assault group for each siege tower. So each of these double boats is lashed together and headed to each tower. They were so determined that they were going to win this time that they even sent away all the prostitutes on a separate ship. A rut row. The Crusaders were so, at this point, they're so desperate that they're even going to stop sleeping with prostitutes. Now, um, now you have said siege tower a couple of times, and siege tower is actually uh, a thing that the assaulter uses to attack a fortified wall. You're right. They're turning their sea, their ships into siege towers. That would be more accurate. Right. To attack the actual brick the, towers. The tower, right. I don't understand why a tower being sieged can't be a siege tower. Will you not even let me have this? Uh, that would be a besieged tower. <laughs> <laughs> so these giant double boats attack the towers of the wall and the Venetians who scramble ashore are cut down. But finally, there's a hero here, a French knight named André Durabois, who makes it across. Imagine this guy up in the rigging of one of these ships in a full suit of armor. Durabois, is he, is he like the Duke of Raspberry? <laughs> I think that would be Framboise, uh. right? <laughs> he's not a flavor of crepe. Um, I mean that kind of raspberry. So he's the one who actually gets ashore to the tower and says, come on, men, and leads an assault. A group of men with picks come aboard and open the gate. And this is right by Mertzophilos' command post. So this is a devastating chink in their fortifications. Right. And that's the beginning of the end for Constantinople, for Byzantium. Um, the invaders stream into the streets. The French uh, just want to drink, so it be turns into a massive party. Uh, the Venetians just want to steal things. Oh, boy, there, there's so many racial slurs here. You're just, you're, you're, you're beslurring every, every person of Europe. I'm not saying that the French every, want to drink, the Venetians want to steal. I'm saying unlike their the usual stereotypes would associate with them today, <laughs> these French and Italians surprise us by drinking and looting uh -huh. respectively. Uh -huh. In fact, if you go to Venice today, have you been to Venice today, John? Not, uh, not, 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 not in the last 24 hours. Uh, but I have been I have been to modern Venice, yes. So if you're in the Piazza San Marco outside of St. Mark's Basilica the big giant church in town. These days you're standing under five feet of water <laughs> right. or standing up to your knees in water. There's a bunch of old men bailing and a bunch of pigeons drowning there. You can still see four bronze horses standing in front of the Basilica. And these were borrowed from constant in the fall of Constantinople. No kidding. In the early 1200s and never, never returned. Wow. They're the Elgin marbles of, uh, 
Constantinople. Sure. So again, another parallel. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> the Elgin Marbles, as I'm sure you all know. You're not, you don't want to fight the Elgin mar bar Marbles fight with me are right the, now, the do you? The freezes <laughs> taken from the uh, Parthenon in Athens. Surely futurelings know what the Elgin Marbles are. I hope they've been returned in their era. I think yeah. we may have said this on the show, but uh, I, when I was in Athens, I went to the, they built a whole museum for the Elgin Marbles, which they do not have. Right. They're like, hey, we just want UNESCO to know we have a nice place to put this stuff. If they, you, they if you ever make the Elgin British Marbles. Museum, give it back. You're right. For the ones they still have, they have those up. And the ones they don't, they've put up facsimiles. Right. Um, but really, it's all, it's all just a Potemkin museum in hopes that someday... They'll get the real marbles. Back. So I wonder, does Istanbul have a uh, have a, a fake Potemkin museum for their for bronze statuary? They have actual horses, but they have spray painted bronze. They have to stand very still. They're like those mimes you see <laughs> in, in European plazas. So Constantinople falls, and just like subsequent Middle Eastern invasions in our era, there's premature celebration. There's massive looting. All these you know incredible ancient relics of incalculable value get either looted or destroyed, did the, taken away. Did the Crusaders dissolve the Republican Guard? <laughs> we would like to announce <laughs> that we're going to look for uh, Mertzoufalos in his yeah. spider hole, wherever he may be. <laughs> and so Constantinople falls, um, and that's pretty much brings the Fourth Crusade to its close. Unbelievable. They never actually get to Jerusalem. All they end up doing is attacking friendly Christian ports for convoluted political reasons. Again, something we would never imagine in our era <laughs> when I, with a you know, clear Middle Eastern mission in mind. Uh, it all just goes straight to hell. And this is a big deal for the West. This is a big deal. As you've said, Constantinople was the bulwark against all kinds of Asian hordes, real and imagined. It was, but also when we talk about like the burning of the library at Alexandria, we think of how, we think of, the great intellectual history and patrimony that was lost, right? All of the, all of the Greek plays, all of the, the, um, it's the sad story that, uh, convinced you and I to make this time capsule. That's right. We are, we are the library of Alexandria of, of the future. We do not want the Noid to be lost to the, uh, crusaders torches. That's right. But the sacking of Constantinople and the fourth crusade is, arguably even a worse crime against history. I'm not even going to argue it. I think it is a worse crime. It is a history. worse crime because it was the, it was the most cultured city in the world at the time, or at least in the, you know, in the, uh, what you would describe as European world. The West. It had collected all of the great artworks. It had all of the great, you know, all the great documents, all of the, I mean, it, had, it was the repository of, Roman civilization of Western civilization. And it was sacked and looted by a bunch of French and Italian drunks. And everything was melted down, burned, trashed, raped, and lost. It all became ingots. Everything. Good ingots, bad ingots, everything became an ingot. Everything, it was, it was wholesale stripped of, stripped and just, and I think there were, I think the Italians appreciated the art and tried to preserve it. And the French just... The French were just pissing on just tapestries. pooped and... on it. Uh, and the Italians could only do so much, you know? In their, in their like, thoughtful looting. <laughs> Considerate raping. This was the beginning of the end for Constantinople within just a... You know, subsequent sieges to various 
Arab powers and Turkish powers followed, and it fell to the Turks just, you know, 200 years later. And it never regained anything like its former glory. I mean, Istanbul is still one of the amazing world cities. And so you, you have to imagine that this, the thing you see there today, is just a shell of what was or what could have been. It also led to a major schism, you know, a schism between the Western Church and the Eastern Church had already started, uh, alluded to by your, your cr whole crossbar controversy. Right. How many, how many uh, crossbars do you put on the cross? It's tricky. It is tricky. They're literally called crossbars. You need at least one, but two, three. Should two. one of them be a little bit crooked? Who, yeah, what's the story who, here? Who can say? Do you have a pope? Do you have a patriarch? Do you, what do you do? What are your rights? How much incense do you burn and what kind? This all gets deepened, as you will imagine, by one of the powers just just ripping a massive hole and burning the hell out of the other power. Like that's the kind of thing you don't forgive. Can you imagine just a bunch of, uh, a bunch of Methodists for, you know, Ugh. leaving Branson, Missouri and deciding that, I guess those would be Baptists, but you know, leaving wherever Methodists come from and deciding they're just going to burn down the Vatican today. They all get on an Alitalia flight and go burn down the Vatican. What's, what's funny is that when we think of, I mean, me as a, as someone who grew up studying this stuff and very interested in it, you think of the Eastern Roman Empire, the Byzant uh, Byzantium and Byzantine Empire, as being a kind of foreign Christian sort of. I mean, I, you think of Rome as the. That's where it's at. We're educated to think of Rome as the yeah. treasure city, as the as the place where Christianity really was was kept in its purest form. These guys are doing some semi-Asian thing and they have a different alphabet. Yeah, right. And they're over there, they're, what are they? They're Russians or right. something? They've got beards and velvet hats. But in fact, like Constantinople was the, uh, was the Paris of its time. And it was conquered and laid waste to by these lesser Christians. Like the Latin church was a grosser, less cultivated version of it. And so, yeah, the, his, the history is written by the victor. And in this case, the victor was... Um, the Doge. The do, the, right, the Doge and, La, and, and Latin Pope. Christianity. Is this the beginning of our base, brutal, modern war where it's not the culturally dominant power that can do it? It's just whoever's got the thicker bankroll and the, the Doge with the most silver? What's, what's interesting is I think even among the Crusaders at the time, there was a sense that Constantinople's wealth and culture also was evidence of its decadence and the decadence. Mm. Uh, so like, it would be like going to, from Branson to Vegas. To Vegas, Not right. Branson to the Vatican. But that, that decadence represented softness and distance from God. And if you were, if you were more diligent, harder, more brutal, you were in fact sort of closer to the, the honest truth rather than... That's I mean, what God wants. Maybe he even wants us to have the ship full of hookers. Who can say? That's the thing. He's testing us. <laughs> All these beautiful Mideastern women. <laughs> what a test. Anyway, the crusade did not go well. And what I'm trying to say with all of this is that I think my high school should change its basketball team name. And that concludes The Fourth Crusade. Entry 495.2T0203. Certificate number 11758 in the omnibus. Futurelings, as you sit in your siege towers. Who do you, un, who, do you un, who or what do you imagine is sieging them? Un, Aliens, right? Unclear whether you are the besiegers or the besieged. I assume they're besieged. That's who I would like to imagine listening. I, I like to think we're like the, uh, you know, the voice of America or whatever, you know, the, the BBC to the 
besieged Europe or whatever. I imagine if there are multiple factions of Futurelings, that our show is popular among the decadent and cultured uh, cities of the future, and that the besiegers, the Spartans, if you will, of Futurelings, uh, just don't have the uh, the intellectual or emotional wherewithal to appreciate the lessons held within the omnibus. Sure, they're listening to the dollop. <laughs> no, the dollop won't exist. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better. Uh, in the unlikely event that social media exists in your era, please do not tweet to the dollop that we are uh, making fun of them on we, our show. We love them and think they're very funny. Yeah, they're wonderful, wonderful people. Hilarious. Um... We have uh, a Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts often that duplicate the content from place to place. But our Facebook page, The Omnibus Futurelings, is um, an unreproducible font of, of uh, smartness and cleverness, fun times. Shared knowledge. Shared knowledge. Trading please, cards and bingo games. Please go there and add your voice to the, to the cacophony, the well-moderated cacophony. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at John Roderick, uh, posting pictures of nuts. Speaking of being besieged, I'm on Twitter as at Ken Jennings. You can go there and yell at him about everything he's doing wrong, how his jokes aren't funny. That is what Twitter is for. That's right. Um, also, be sure to actually him anytime he stipulates a fact. I won't know any of this. I'll be long dead. Oh, that's, uh, that's right. That, that's what I love about this. True. Now is the time to start adding at replies that just recapitulate the joke. Right. Because I won't know. No, no, it, that's right. It will... Uh, it, um, Ex explain jokes back to me. I dare you. Ontogeny will recapitulate uh, ophthalmology uh, ad infinitum. Because today when I scroll through my Twitter, it's just me saying, God is testing me. God is testing me. God is testing me. <laughs> uh, you can email us from the future at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. And you can mail us. You can send us priceless relics and icons. Yeah, send us a shard of the true cross. That's what we want. Send us a little, a little remnant of the garment that shrouded Jesus in the cave. Send us the finger knuckle of Saint Boniface of Montferrat. That's what I want. Come on. I want that too. I didn't even realize I wanted it. Well, he has 10 fingers, so it's, right. it's possible that we could each get one. How many bones per finger? Three, four? It seems like it. Uh, How many bones are there? Three, maybe? But if you conclude like knuckle bones, are there knuckle bones or is that all cartilage? No, your knuckle is bony. Somebody's yelling at me right now. How many bones in the finger? John is not actually looking this up. He's just, he likes to say thoughtfully and slowly the thing he's wondering How as he dredges the knowledge out of his head. Bones. So there are 14 finger bones in a hand. So what? What does that mean? Two, two, two in the thumb and three in each of the other fingers, I'm guessing. Well, so the palm has five bones, the metacarpal bones. And then uh, the uh, hands have 14 flan uh, phalanges or phalanx bones. You are really punishing the people who listen to the outros. <laughs> people who listen to the outros, you have made a bad choice and you need to suffer. God is testing you. Through John's recitation of hand bones. Yeah. I, you know, when I was in elementary school, I learned all the bones in the body. Really? And I learned it. Like, well, like you had to or uh, no, it, it was, was part of the curriculum or you just thought it would be fun? It was. They, we started to talk about the bones in the body and 
they were just generally talking about the large bones in the body, but I was, I was precocious and I was trying to demonstrate that I didn't really need to be in sixth grade. And so I just learned all the bones in the body. And then I would sit in the back of the class and just kind of correct the teacher. It was one of the things that encouraged them to give me what they called independent study, which was just to sequester me from the class and give me like Dickens books to read, which they did consider a punishment. They were like, here's Tale of Two Cities, enjoy. It's a Dickensian punishment. You have to read Dickens. It was really, it really, it worked. It quieted me down. That's nice. You're probably the only non-future serial killer that has a story about memorizing the names of, of bones. That's true as far as you know. <laughs> Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive before the siege towers of our alien invaders rise. We hope and pray the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, might just be our final word to you. We hope that providence will allow, that God will stop testing us in his infinite mercy, will allow us to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.